are listening to the Mission Critical Podcast. Nonprofit marketing advice for the expert and novice alike, where you'll get an insider view into marketing strategy, key marketing concepts, emerging trends, and more. And now, your hosts with marketing advice so practical it dresses in layers, Billy Draper and John Path. Hello and welcome to the Mission Critical Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Your hosts, Billy Draper and John Patton here. Billy, good evening to you, sir. I see you have the Mission Critical Podcast whiskey glass uh, in front of you. What are you drinking tonight? Oh, yeah. Good good evening (laughs) to you as well. Um, (laughs) uh, I'm having a little Angel's Envy, you know, just the just the bourbon. It's the one finishing the port wine. It's 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 a nice it's a nice evening uh, (laughs) evening drink. What's in your glass? What's what's in your glass? Uh, I'm going to do a Tennessee whiskey tonight. Uh, You know, did the bourbon before and uh, we'll definitely definitely do the bourbon again. But for tonight, a little Tennessee whiskey. I've got George Dickel bottle it and bond, hundred proof, and uh, it's kind of a controversial whiskey in the uh, in the whiskey world today. Apparently, you either love it or hate it, um, but I I love it. I think it's fantastic. Highly recommend. It, it, that's the one in the blue bottle, right? Yeah, that's the uh, blue bottle. Well, uh, I mean, get, what kind of notes are you getting on that? What what are your what are the notes? What are the sub subtle mm. hints that you're getting? Uh, this, it's definitely they definitely used water in it. I, I can tell for sure. Uh, uh, I bet I think yeah. I'm pretty sure they used a distiller as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some wood. Yes. So it was definitely definitely some sort of wood. What wood barrel? There was a wood barrel in there. It's funny. Mine has the same notes. It's just crazy. <laughs> Who, Who would have guessed? Who knew? <laughs> Who would have guessed? What a time to be alive. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it's one of those things where you you hear a whiskey review and you think, oh, yeah, okay. You got cherries or something like that. And then I drink it. And I'm like, tastes like a whiskey. Um, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you can just make up crap and nobody argues with you. Like it's cinnamon and like some vanilla um, maybe some tobacco and people are like, oh, yeah, I, I get all of that. And you're like, no, you don't. I just made it up. I just drink mine too fast to care, quite honestly. Um, you know, they're like, swish it around, let it burn. let it sell. I'm like, why would I ever want to do that? Why? It's just, I'm delaying the inevitable. I'm here for a reason, folks. <laughs> oh, oh, my taste buds aren't in the back of my throat. Oh, shoot. This isn't working out real well. <laughs> I've been doing that wrong all my life. Why would I start now? Uh, <laughs> So good. So good. Well, Billy, we have kind of a fun topic to talk about tonight. We, uh, we're we going to talk a little bit about uh, design first or experience first thinking. And uh, this is a fun one because um, it's a brave journey for our nonprofit friends to undertake because chances are good. Uh, they're going to have to scrape out some things and some structures and some orthodoxies that are already in place and rebuild, uh, but there's tremendous value in considering it. Before we kind of launch into the intricacies of what that could look like, just want to introduce a couple concepts that might or might not come up in our conversation today to our listening friends. Uh, Just want to 
first kind of use the term digital native. And I don't know if anyone knows that term particularly well, but for those who are uh, maybe not as well-versed in the term, digital native is someone who is kind of born digital. So when they were growing up, they were asking questions like, why do you call it hang up? on the phone call because they've never seen a phone hang up, right? Uh, <laughs> they they uh, grew up with computers. They grew up uh, like my daughter can type faster on the iPhone than I can. You know, like these are digital natives. They have grown up with that kind of user experience. And then if you're not a digital native, you're a digital nomad. And that digital nomad was not born digital. Some would argue there's a gap generation between the two. I think that's probably true. I think I'm in that gap generation. But yep. the digital nomad is someone who, you know, did not grow up digital and has kind of voyaged into this digital world. So, uh, but Billy, I mean, you and I are probably right in between because, I mean, I remember VCRs, programming VCRs. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you remember the uh, the, the mixtape that you had to call the radio station and be like, will you please play Bon Jovi? Um, uh, please, I got to make a mixtape for my girlfriend. And you would hope that the DJ wouldn't talk over it when you push record and play at the same time. Yeah, I remember that. I uh, I made one with I Swear. Remember that song? By oh, the yeah. This? I made it and I gave it to a girl and it went so poorly. I cannot begin to tell you how poorly that went. Her boyfriend did not appreciate it at all. <laughs> well, that's probably why it went poorly. That's, uh, you know, the boyfriend. It, it had probably nothing to do with the song. Just FYI. Hindsight Just- is twenty twenty on that one. <laughs> uh, so I, we think, I think we're in this gap generation where I remember pre-digital. I remember router sounds. I remember all that stuff. But a majority of my life has been spent uh, in the digital realm. So, uh, but traditionally digital native, digital nomad. And the reason that's important is because when we think about what digital or design first or experience first thinking is, what we're thinking about is really curating experiences that appeal to people that are both digitally native and digital nomads. And what we're doing is we're thinking about if we reimagined what experiences we're creating for our constituents, for our donors, for our service recipients, all of that. How would we actually design it if we were not inhibited by the structures, the governance, the orthodoxies, the history of our organization? How would we actually do it? And Billy, uh, in your kind of consulting world, you know, how often are you trying to scrape out orthodoxies and structures to get our nonprofit customers to rethink how they're approaching digital. It's nine times out of 10, maybe 9.5 times out of 10. Right? Those are the people that have their toe in the water. And, but no, it, it's the truth. Change management. We always hear that, that term, right? And when you go in and you talk about, hey, what's wrong with your, you know, with currently, what's going on? What would you change? You always hear, well, technology, but then you always hear, well, we always, there's a lot of politics, there's bureaucracy, you know, we've got these people that want to do it this way. It is change management. And I think it exists everywhere. And that's not, hey, that's for big projects. And that's for small projects, right? Those are large organizations. Those are small organizations. So it's a common problem that <laughs> you hear often. So um, it's, 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 you know, it's a blocker. It's a blocker. We call it a blocker. It almost feels to me like, the bigger the organization, 
the harder it is to get them to change. And, you know, it's like turning around a cruise ship versus a speedboat. When I think about it, I think about some of these organizations that are doing huge dollars in fundraising. And the way they've scaled up is by simply adding more gift officers and more gift officers and more gift officers. And then if they get a downturn, they're like, oh, you know the problem? Not enough gift officers. (laughs) (laughs) True. Like the only answer to every question is we just need some more gift officers. But actually, what you might need to do is curate an experience that's really meaningful for your donors. Uh, So, Billy, if you're even considering undertaking that kind of journey, uh, what do you, where do you start? What do you think about what's going through your head? I think there's a couple different places to start. First, walk yourself through the current digital design, if you have one. Walk yourself through the current constituent experience. Give yourself a grade. Be honest. Like, that, that's the best place to start because what you'll find, not everything's bad. You're actually doing some good things. Those are the things you want to carry through and, and into, you know, a new state, a new, a new design. So I, I think that's always the first place I would start. You know, look, I'm, I'm talking about the man in the mirror, right? He's asking me to change his way. Anyway, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> speaking of uh, being stuck in the generations, um, <laughs> But so I, I think that's one of the key places. And then the second place, look around, right? I think getting outside of your industry, looking at some of the brands, organizations, um, uh, look at the way they do things. Because a lot of times, you know, you'll see that I'll use, I use the example often, you'll see someone's really good at service. So you might want to pick up some of their service um, tactics. You'll see someone's really good at publishing and advocacy. You might want to pick up some of those things. And so all those types of ideas help you to kind of shape what you believe your organization should look like. And think about that first. Don't go into thinking about budget and making excuses of why you can't do it. I imagine what you want to do and then, and then go from there. So, I mean, you see that commonly, don't you? I do. I mean, I think about this concept of what is the journey I'm taking that person on. And so, I mean, I think about, I recently participated in a fundraiser that was associated with a walk. And so I got an invite email. Okay, great. I said, yes, I will walk. Um, And then when the time comes, I'm now getting emails from not just the person that invited me to walk, but also the organization. It's great. But they look actually quite a bit different. And that's, I guess that's okay. And then I go in, I have to register for the walk. They don't know anything about me. I don't have my own private registration link. So, okay, you know, I'm, I'm willing to participate so far. But then the gift giving is in a totally different system. And I have to register differently again to give the gift. And now all of a sudden I'm like, all right, time out. I've had like four or five different experiences here, all look and feel different. And like, I'm not even sure if this is the same company, uh, organization I'm giving money to. You know, when you give your gift, now the thank you email looks different again. And it sounds crazy. But the way that happens is that the team that's in charge of the event has a set of tools and they build their templates and or whatever in the tools. Then the gift team has a totally separate set of tools. The tax and accounting team has yet a totally different set of tools. So uh, not that, you know, we're going to talk about tools at all, because that is not the point. The concept here is that experience I was given was created 
by the governance and structure of the organization and each team having their own siloed technology versus a flipping it on its head and saying, okay, what if we wanted to make a killer experience for our walkers? Why wouldn't you put that all in an app and have me download the app for the walk? Or why wouldn't you at a minimum standardize on the communication platform and have it all have the same look and feel throughout the entire process? So uh, it's just that mindset of what is our end user experiencing and what are we asking them to do? Because it's like having a form with a hundred fields. Your completion rate on a field with a, a form with 100 fields is, is 0%, right? Ask them three questions at a time, 30 times, you might get some more information. Uh, yeah, a census, if you're listening to this, you should probably take notice. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just opted out of one the other day. You know, I was getting, I know we're kind of off track here, but it was funny. It was like, can you tell us about COVID? This is the census. And I was like, I'm happy to tell you, but then it was like 40 questions in. I was like, I'm, I'm done telling you what I need to tell you. You're like, stop, I'm opting out. You're not getting any, any information for me. I, I kind of look at it like this. It's like building a house, right? Everyone, we're, we're going to build a house and you're going to do the plumbing and you're going to do the sheetrock and then you're going to do the, you know, the appliances, but everyone does it without the same plan. And then it's like, wait a second, we built a house, but it doesn't really function as a house, but it has all the things a house should have. So kudos to us. So that's what it kind of feels like. What you just described feels exactly like that idea to me. Why are all four bathrooms next to each other? <laughs> <laughs> and why is there no lock on this door? Uh, I think there's this idea, right? That if you bring continuity to like our look, we have, we're using the same RGB for our colors. We're using the same font. We've done something. And yes, visual continuity is key, but even more so than today, experience continuity is what people want because as soon as you don't do it and you make it hard, guess what? They're gone. They're going to vanish. They're going to disappear. You've got to make it such a small lift to continue that it's crazy not to. And I always think about like this barrier to entry as marketers. We want all the information. We want all of the informations that exists, right? <laughs> we want it all because like I want to build a segment for left-handed people who are also inclined towards koala bears. Uh, you know, like that's, that's an interesting segment for me for hot some market. reason. Hot market. <laughs> Super hot. And <laughs> as a consumer, as someone who's giving a gift, I don't want to give you all my information, right? And, and we talked a ton about capturing behavioral data before. I mean, so we don't have to belabor that point, but I just want to call back to it. You have to have a strategy to capture the signals people are sending you, but they're not going to fill out a 70 question survey to give you all the data you want. Those they're just are gone. not going to do it. They're gone. gone. Yeah. Gone. Yeah. Much like your uh, census, I have, uh, there's a local ballot initiative and the person catches me on the phone and I'm, I'm trying to do my civic duty, right? And, uh, and they are like, hey, I have, I need five minutes. 30 minutes later, we're on the call and the, the guy's like, if I don't ask you all these questions, I have to throw out your survey. And I'm like, you're going to have to throw out my survey because I'm not answering another question, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. You just wasted 30 minutes. If you'd been honest up front, you would have only wasted 30 seconds. Uh, but those days are gone, right? So what do we do? I mean, how do we, we've talked a little bit about mapping out your user journeys, making sure that that's a good fit. But, you know, if you're an organization, if you're hired as the CMO of some really big nonprofit and they think you're the savior because, you know, you've got cool shoes and cool glasses and, uh, you know, you've got modern marketing techniques, but your whole entire structure and team is kind of built on these legacy strategies, 
I mean, what advice would you give the CMO coming into a place like that? How can they possibly get started with this digital first thinking? The way I look at it, and I think Allie Roth, we, we spoke with her, um, you might have heard the interview by now, but one of the things that she said that really resonated with me is rather than trying to look to acquire constituents all the time, and I know this, this is not verbatim, but the idea is we're always trying to acquire constituents, right? And put them through these journeys to then develop them into donors or volunteers. But what she kind of drilled into was a little bit around this idea that our constituents just make this experience the best for them. Our current constituents make it the best for them now, right? Let's get to know them now. So I think just as a big, big idea, right? Is like, don't get down into the minutia of thinking about your new constituent, right? Or the ones that you're trying to acquire through ads or those kinds of things. Think about your very best donor, your very best volunteer today. Think about their experience and work from there because if you can successfully retain them, right? You're spending your ad dollars, if you will, your marketing investment to everything you've done to acquire them is then protecting, you're protecting that investment. But if, and so protect that experience too, because you don't want them to leave. You don't want to have a leaky bucket. That'd be my first point, right? <laughs> and then from there, I think there's a number of other ways to go, but it's not often that you hear that, right? You don't hear a lot of times that people think about retention and the, the retention experience. Everyone is so focused on trying to find, you know, the next hot million dollar donor, the next hot six feet or whatever, right? Whatever it is for your organization. And you got to do that, right? You got to go ocean fishing. You can't always fish in your own lake. But I think what we see nine times out of 10 is it's not a problem of having a large Rolodex. It's a problem of having a relationship to the people in that Rolodex. Bingo. Yep. Yeah. Relationships are key. We know it. Think about any brand. Think about anything that you spend money on. Just think about it for a second. Moment of silence to think about it. Right. (laughs) That's it. That's all the thinking time you get. But you have a relationship more than likely with that organization or brand. Right. And the relationship exists because they know you. They know the way you behave. They know the what you respond to. They know what you don't respond to. And so they don't do those things. They try to optimize. They try to minimize. And I think, quite frankly, another kind of big key point is what can I do with less? Like less is more in the digital design experience, in my humble opinion. I love it when people make it easy for me. You make it easy for me, I'm going to spend more time with you. You make it easy for me, I'm going to tell everybody about what you do um, because it looks like a good recommendation for me, right? So there's there's those things. Um, and it's very, very key and it exists elsewhere. So just look around, you know, just look around. Do you remember the first time someone told you about Uber? I do. I was like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> We always talk about like, make sure you know the person whose car you're getting into and all that stuff. You're like, no, instead, just like get in this stranger's car. Um, but, uh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Different world. Uh, but I remember the first time I got in an Uber uh, after someone re- recommended I download the app uh, to go to SFO Airport. And I just remember getting out of the Uber feeling like I did something wrong. Like I'm, I didn't pay yeah. you. Right. But very quickly, I was like, this is so awesome because I don't have the guy telling me the freaking credit card machine is broken and they only accept cash, right? And you're like, look, I get it. They charge you 18% on the credit card fees. I'm going to tip you well. But like, I got to expense it (laughs) because (laughs) cash is a pain. (laughs) When someone tells you about that, this new experience you can have, and then you have that experience. I told everyone I knew about Uber. 
Yeah. I was like, don't ever take a taxi again. Don't do it. Except ironically. Uh, <laughs> Grow a mustache, take a taxi. It's, it's, That's it's right. fine. <laughs> That's right. There is, there is a concept here of surprise and delight. And I would encourage people who are thinking about reimagining the user journeys. Your charter is to surprise and delight, not just surprise, <laughs> also delight, surprise and delight the people who are having those experiences. Reimagine that walk scenario I just talked to you about, where I get a, I get an invite, I accept the invite and they say, hey, we're doing everything through our app this year. And then the person who invited me to participate records a little video thanking me for participating. Maybe I hear a little blurb from the CEO talking about what they're up to and it's all in the app and I've got push notifications. And they're like, hey, you know, we really could use your help bringing more people into this story of whatever. And all of a sudden now my experience is like I'm getting affinity and you're seeing what I'm clicking on, what I'm not clicking on. And you're starting to change the experience based on my level of involvement and have what I'm telling you through my behavior determine what experiences I'm creating. You know what happens as a result? You end up turning your your audience, your constituents into your marketing engine. I had a CEO that I used to work for all the time. He's the founder of this company. And, and he always said that. And I thought it was such a brilliant, first of all, I thought it was brilliant marketing because it was on everything. <laughs> but it's something you can believe because like you just said, like you sold Uber to how many people? How many people started using Uber after you told them about it? Right, it's, right. It's, it's, it's what you want. That's exactly what you want. And it's all about how people feel. You made me feel good through this experience. You made me feel like this is easy. I mean, imagine like the walk experience. What if they knew something more about you? Like what type of shoes you like to wear, right? Could they bring a sponsor into your life to then give you some benefit there with a brand that you like to, to do the walking that you like to do? That, that's, those are the types of things you have to think about in your design. The reason it's such a brave journey is that it requires you as the CMO of large nonprofit or... Uh, head of marketing for a smaller nonprofit, it requires you to take your donors who are really not, you know, your mission focus, but instead place the focus on them like they're the most important people in the world. And they're not just a paycheck, but they're a relationship that's ongoing. And one of the things to your point earlier that Ali has gotten so right, so right. And part of the reason with Love is Growing so quickly is that they write these handwritten notes and it is impossible to get a handwritten note from someone and not feel like, wow, they really went out of their way to show appreciation for me. It's impossible to, I mean, unless the handwritten notes like a, you know, says screw you or something, maybe only then, but like, that's not the notes they're writing. (laughs) So yeah, like what are your things that you can do with your team? Even if you have a bunch of legacy people who aren't up on modern tech, guess what? Everyone can scribble out a thank you note. You know what's great about that concept too? You, we, we talked about this idea that there's two types, right? And we're kind of the gap here on the, the, the John and I represent the gap here. But uh, this idea that you have digital nomads and then you have digital natives, you know what that does to a digital nomad? It goes, oh my gosh, 
the nostalgia in that moment makes you feel good. Like the world Mm -hmm. is still okay, right? People still are going to take the time to care. For the digital native, what it does, it it actually differentiates. It opens them up to a whole nother experience that they probably, I mean, they don't even know what handwriting is, right? (laughs) So so it's like, there's something really unique about that. Once again, that's not digital, right? There's nothing digital about a handwritten letter, right? But what you can... Uh, refer to in a letter, how you can address that individual. That's where digital plays into making that a very powerful um, exchange in the relationship, a moment that matters. I'm going to drink to that. So sorry. Cheers. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) exactly right. That's exactly right. I think when you're considering how you're going to approach this problem, and I think about, you know, some of these really large NGOs, this is terrifying. It's going to expose them to the bad experiences that they're curating right now. And they're going to look a little foolish at times. But if you are willing to undertake this journey, what you get is, to your point earlier, you get your donors to be your marketing arm. You get your, you get your stories from the people you're serving, right, as your content. You can actually take this approach and fundamentally redesign your content and your outreach strategy because it's all based on the relationships you have. Billy, how do you think through a cohesive communication strategy that crosses departments and crosses silos? What are the landmines to avoid? And what are the things you're thinking about when someone's asking you about that? Yeah, I, I think the landmines to avoid are, first of all, going off of what you think is right. I think that's a big one to um, have some <laughs> vulnerability, humility. Um, it's okay to poke holes, right? And it's okay to admit that you've done something wrong. And in fact, you know, if you go through this exercise and you find out that actually might be an outreach tactic too, that you go back to your audience and say, look, we realize that we don't know who you are. We want to get to know you a little bit better, right? Domino's Pizza, right? Sorry to interrupt, but Domino's Bingo. Pizza, they apologized for how bad their pizza was. And it was the best marketing move they ever made. They're like, hey, sorry, that pizza wasn't great, but this new one's freaking awesome. And like, boom, it took off. And you know what they are now? Domino's considers themselves a technology company. They're, they don't make pizzas. Then they're no longer right. Domino Pizza. They're Domino's, right? And they're a technology right. company. That is what you have to do. Um, and so I think like, you know, you've got to be able to be honest with yourself. It's it's a this is a this is a therapy process, right? This is a therapy process. Who are you as an organization, right? There's this thing about like brand archetypes. And if you think about like, and I'm just going to name some common ones, right? If I name the, if I say Nike, what do you think of? Just do it, right? They're a warrior brand. They represent the warrior in, in, in individuals. You think of, and I'm, I don't care, if, well, Budweiser. Who are they? They're the king, right? They're the king. Mm-hmm. So if you think about those little things like that, figuring out who you are as an organization, are we the disruptor, the gesture? Are we the hero? Are we the the sage? You know, whatever you are, if you also bring that to account into your design, I think that's also something that you should consider um, because then you know that you're living your brand promise through and your experience will also be aligned with that brand promise. So those things aren't disjointed. Um, Gosh, I could go all day on that. That stuff, I I can geek out on that. I absolutely love that. But going back to the point is, look, be honest. Um, Don't be afraid to take uh, small 
incremental changes. You have to consider more channels than probably ever as well. That's that's just necessary. Your website and email at a bare minimum should very much work together. If you could just have cohesion between your marketing outreach channels and your website, right? If that was, if you just said, hey, I know those are two totally separate teams that have never met each other, but uh, we're going to introduce them <laughs> and uh, we're going to leverage the same content repository and the same hero shots. Uh, you would be hands down doing better than a lot of the large nonprofits we work with. Yes. And I think the other point I was going to make too is this idea that you we always we hear this is this marketing speak, but like have the 360 degree view of your constituent. Everyone brings all this data to the table and everyone's like, well, data, 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 data. And, and don't let me like discredit data because it's extremely key. It's how you use it that's the hard part. And I think it's actually seeing what's the most meaningful view of our constituent, which means for the program or for the fundraising team or the volunteer team, it might mean that not all your data is considered an outreach. It's just the most critical pieces of data should be considered an outreach and experience. I've seen so many ridiculous SQL queries uh, that (laughs) are like, oh, if they viewed this page, put them on this journey. You're like, well, what if they accidentally viewed it for a millisecond? Do you want them on it then? Because I I don't think you do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know you you touched on something earlier, Billy, which is a, it's the why, it's the why of the organization. And you know, like maybe the most famous TED talk ever, right, was uh, Simon Sinek talking about people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it, mm-hmm. and uh, and what you do simply proves what you believe. Mm-hmm. And I think as nonprofits, that even that's probably you know, on steroids a little bit because your why is your impact, right? It's like, if you are a cause and cure, like we exist to help patients with this disease and to cure this disease. That's our why. And if people are giving to you, guess what? They've already bought into your Mm -hmm. why, Mm -hmm. right? They've already bought into your why. So now you need to steward that relationship, which means responsible data stewardship, making sure that you are holistically considering the experience. Listen, I get it. So-and-so wants to run another campaign this week. I, I get it, right? Uh, it's the political season. I have a, um, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but I love signing up for all the political emails. I sign up for everybody. Everybody's running for everything in my junk mail account because I just find it fascinating. Um, that probably says more about me than I care to <laughs> admit on the podcast. But like, I get emails from everyone. Everyone, like every local, uh, regional Senate race. And and it's amazing because the political formula is send email, get 0.01% conversion rate, send another email, get points. They have no idea what I care about. They have no idea what I give my money towards. They have no idea, but they just are loading it up and blasting it out, right? Pray and spray to the nth degree. They have no idea about the why. There's nothing related to the why. Exactly. And our nonprofits, they don't have to do that. They have such a compelling why. That why is important. That why really matters. And as a nonprofit, you need to have the understanding of what made that constituent kind of fall in love with you in the first place. That's the connection, right? You got to come back to that connection. We're here to be connected. Um, Humans love connections and we love to be connected to things that are connected to us. That's part of the why. 
hey, that's part of the why. I might be uh, connected to the Cure Cause organization because someone in my family has been affected or maybe me personally, or it's a history thing, right? Um, but guess what? There's also probably six other organizations doing the same thing, you know? And, and so where am I going to go? I'm going to go someplace where I feel connected. Um, and that's critical in this design uh, thought that we're thinking about as well to really make it connected and cohesive, but also to connect when you're doing this as well with the constituents through every piece of the experience, right? To the best way possible, not trying to do all things, but do the right thing. The data is going to be your guide. It's going to help you know what to do. And so many nonprofits are operating on the HIPPO method. Uh, the HIPPO method is highest paid person's opinion, right? They're like, I like that picture better. Okay, we're running with it. Run it. It's that picture, right? Like that's not, as it turns out, the very best way to do things. So if you're going to think about experience first or design first thinking, if you're going to think about really truly putting your constituent in the center of your strategy and curating their experiences, you better have a way to prove what's working. You better have a way to know what is actually a success and a failure. And Billy, when we think about measuring that, uh, we're not going to talk about the tech to do it per se. When you think about measuring that, what kind of talent, what kind of skills do you need to understand that data? When you're thinking about the data itself and what you're trying to look at, you're trying to find two things. You're trying to find the people who are leaning in. When you're engaging, they're not just going open, yes, great, right? That That's good, right? This this great. Someone opened the email. But what you want to see in this data, you want to see the data points that actually indicate that someone is engaged. And I don't mean that they're, once again, opening. I mean that they're clicking in, they're spending time, they're giving you some more information, they're giving you more implicit <laughs> preferences potentially, right? And what they're also doing past that is that they're actually, you're finding out that they're sharing that on social media. They're bragging about it on social media. So those are the types of things, if you look at the data, if you think about the ideal constituent experience, if you can find those threads in your data, that probably indicates that there's something good there, right? And so I think that's when you put on your data and analysis hat. Um, you have to find those data points. And if you don't have those, guess what? Probably should maybe even think about scraping everything you do, right? So if you're not getting any of that when you send, guess what? Your sins aren't working. I'm sorry, your sins are not working. Just because people are opening doesn't mean anything. We all have these two warring uh, philosophies or concepts deeply embedded within our core, which is self-preservation and self-promotion, right? And like whatever religious or uh, philosophical assent, like they all on some level are trying to get you to let go of self-preservation, self-promotion, and just be seen for who you truly are, right? And so unfortunately, even in nonprofits, we have people who struggle deeply with the need to self-promote and self-preserve. And so if someone launches a campaign that just sucks, they're going to figure out the metric that shows that their campaign did not suck, right? Yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, well, yes, we may not have gotten a lot of gifts, but our awareness was through the roof, right? Or whatever, whatever, right? Vanity like, metrics. So, vanity Vanity metrics. metrics. Oh, my gosh. So many social media technology plays have been sold through vanity metrics. We got a bunch of likes. Oh, great. How much did the bank give us for those likes? Zero dollars, it turns out. Uh, 
So what you need to think about is what do you, what really matters to your organization? And I'll tell you what, gifts are an obvious one, but they're not the only one, right? The fact that someone will give you more information about who they are and what they care about, that is called a precursor to a gift, right? Or that is a precursor to a volunteer. So don't disparage the additional information that someone is willing to share with you. Those are signals. And the question you need to ask internally to your organization is, what are the signals that matter? Mm -hmm. And how do we curate the experiences that we are giving to our constituents to capture those signals? If you can answer that question, you have a design-first approach. It is well within your grasp. And if you can do it without being defensive about the challenges you have, either the technical debt or the talent debt or the governance orthodoxy structures that are inhibiting your ability, if you can answer it with transparency and lack of self-promotion and lack of self-preservation, you have a chance to fundamentally change that experience. Hey, can I bring up something here? And and I'm gonna I have to say this as someone who used to work in the agency world. I love agencies. I will tell you, I think there's there, agencies do really great work. But I will encourage you to do the sans agency. I, I just think that's one hundred percent right. Yes, that's critical. Yes, because um, we lean in on too much. I couldn't agree with that statement more. That is so critical. If you can do that, then this is where you find out how if your agency is worth its its weight. Honestly, I mean, I know this from experience. I think that I'm actually going through some painful memories here. Leave them out. <laughs> the journey you need to go through as an organization cannot depend on the skills and talent of an, talents of an agency. If you are beholden to their ability to create those experiences then the moment that goes side, they've got you. They have mm-hmm. got you. Uh, you need, not that you can't use agency to create content, not that you can't use them to help and consult on strategies, but you need to know what you are doing and why you're doing it independent of out external counsel. So well and said. If you can't answer that question, then you need to bring in someone to help you answer that question, Right. Probably not an agency. Bring in a consultant. Bring in someone who can help you get to your why and help you get to your how. Uh, but if someone's charging you, you know, lots of dollars per hour, they're going to come up with some really neat content strategies, right? They're going to come up with some great video shoots, but that may not be what you need. You may just need a better way to understand your constituents. They're exciting. Hey, video shoots are fun and content is fun. Um, and and yes, that well, there's an emotional pull to that. But but uh, sometimes the answer is not in 2.5 FTEs, right? The the answer is really down. <laughs> it's down into to, to really to, to to being honest with with yourself as an organization. And I think that's, that is hard. And that's where we come back to change management. Cause once you get to honesty, right, what do we do next? <laughs> so, you know, I, I remember a story of a, a nonprofit that was near us um, here in, in my hometown that does this really great arts camp for kids in the summer. It's really cool. They come and you can do theater, or, you know, music lessons or painting or, you know, all this really cool stuff for kids in the summer. And their CEO looked at the numbers and uh, after COVID said, yeah, you can't, you need to fire me. You need to fire me because you can't afford me. You either, if you keep paying me, this, this whole thing goes sideways. Like, and I thought, wow, yeah, that is someone who is not a self-promoter and not in self-preservation. That's someone deeply committed to the cause. 
Mm-hmm. And I got news for you. The people you hired at your nonprofit, most of them are not there because they love asking people for money. Most of them are there because they care about what you're doing. And if you can give them a why and an inspiration for how they can participate in this greater story of relevance, the same thing you're doing for your donors, right? If you can give them that why, they can flourish. But I cannot tell you how many jaded gift officers I have talked to who view it uh, as a uh, you know dial for dollars kind of job because they've lost the why. And it's because in part, the organization has not done a good job of telling their story and telling the story internally and externally. And if you rethink this experience, you cannot help but bring your gift officers along on that journey, the journey of understanding your why. That your employees, right? They, like you said, they're, they're part of that three-legged stool, right? You have your constituents, you have your employees, and you, you, know, you have the people that you serve, right? And, 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 and sponsors, you know? So maybe it's a four-legged stool. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, abso-freaking-lutely, you know? Um, and a lot of times we forget that. Um, and I think that's, that's a really interesting point to consider because um, I've been on the phone here recently going through COVID with, with a number of nonprofits. And you can tell that the, that the team is uninspired because they feel like that they are just asking for handouts. And, they're, yep. and it's, a, you know, it's a different approach. It's so frustrating to see someone who is uninspired about asking for a contribution to help cure a disease, which impacts people's lives. You're like, yeah. You should be excited about that. You should wake (laughs) up stoked because you're helping people with cancer or whatever, or, you know, like that is a high calling on a life. And if you've forgotten that, my job as your CMO is to remind you, right? Let me remind you why we're all here. Yeah. Let me remind you of our why. So, you know, Billy, it strikes me. We don't want to give any sort of uh, tool recommendation or tech recommendation, but I will give people a, uh, a free tip. One of the things you ought to Google is marketing maturity assessment. And there are great internet tools. Uh, I am looking at one from Gartner right now. They have a great marketing maturity model and assessment tool that you could do. This is a great place to get started because we've just talked about you know, 26.2 miles in crossing the finish line of this great user experience. And people are like, that's great. I can't run a mile yet. Like, well, what, how do I start? Well, let me give you your training plan. Step one is take a realistic marketing maturity assessment, right? Do that. Mm-hmm. Figure out where your gaps are. Step two, map out those user journeys. Be your own customer. Figure out what the email looks like. Did it go to junk? It did. That's a problem, right? Like actually go through the experience like a brand new user. See what they see. Feel what they feel. You know, maybe even ask someone else to go through it on your behalf and have them give you the feedback. Maybe you're two in the weeds, right? Get those experiences mapped out and then draw mentally, draw a chasm Mm -hmm. between what you have and what good looks like. Mm-hmm. All right. So you know you have your maturity assessment. What are you, what talent do you have inside? You have your experience. What are they actually experience? And then define what good looks like. And my encouragement to you is the chasm between where you are today and where you're going. If you need help with that, get some help with it. If you, you know, hire a consultant, do what you need to do to help you go from where you are to where you need to be. 
And I will also say, if we can be of help uh, on this podcast, you know, definitely encourage you to ask some questions uh, on our website. We are here to offer advice and strategy. Uh, we just, we really care about the mission of nonprofits. So if we can be helpful, that's great. If it's other people, also great. But we really want to help you succeed. And the only way moving forward for nonprofits to be successful is to have this constituent-centric approach to how they're thinking. So that's some real practical steps. Marketing maturity, define where you are today, define what good looks like, and figure out how to bridge that chasm. Uh, Billy, any other tips I missed? Don't make excuses. That that's other yes. like just to the whole process, right? Because we all know therapy is painful, right? <laughs> We're there for a reason, and, and and so I think that is what you just said was beautiful, and it is. Don't make excuses, and don't be afraid to really call out what's wrong and really yep. where you want to go. And then there, the truth is in there somewhere, and and, and it will reveal itself. Yeah, you need to fight that self preservation instinct so hard and you need to fight that self-promotion instinct so hard like that is if you can avoid that you can actually get to success it's it is within your grasp i will say that angel's envy will help you avoid a lot of self-preservation <laughs> <laughs> so I, I you know just in case you need to loosen up a little bit there you go <laughs> my good buddy george dickel over here is helping me out too i gotta i gotta tell you uh there you go it, we didn't call it the second pour but i definitely got to a second pour part way through and i, I think too. you might have as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's always good to talk about marketing gaps over whiskey it, what can i say it's uh it's the best possible way to talk about it with a last name like draper it comes naturally that's all i can say so <laughs> <laughs> it's so true <laughs> Well, awesome. Let's put a bow on this one. Again, uh, we welcome your questions. Uh, we will definitely check any questions you ask and do our best to answer them. Also, we'd love to hear recommendations for upcoming shows or topics you want us to cover. If you suggest a show and we don't know anything about it, by the time we're ready to record, we'll totally have researched it. 100% for sure. So. <laughs> We can do that. <laughs> yeah. Imposter syndrome is real. Look, we're, we're here to help. So don't be shy about asking us for help. And if we can answer any questions, put them down below. Otherwise, for the Mission Critical Podcast, Billy, thank you for your expertise today, sir. Excellent. Appreciate learning from your knowledge. This is Billy Draper and John Patton. Appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to yet another episode of the Mission Critical Podcast. Remember, this podcast is here to help you. If there's something you'd like us to cover, reach out. Connect with us online at listentotmcp.com or follow us at listentotmcp on your favorite social media channel.